Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, August 4th, 2014. And for the next four episodes, we'll be taking a little walk down memory lane with some of the coolest projects that you helped to fund. During this week in history, in 1911, comedian, actress, and TV producer Lucille Ball was born. Dude, happy birthday. First up, an animated film out of Denmark, The Reward. Whoa, sunshine. What's wrong? There was a great sunshine from the window. I don't know if you can see the window. I see the bright light, but that's the whole background of your company, so, you know. <laughs> exactly, the sun creature. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny with the sunlight. That's true. That's how I'm always going to remember you, man. <laughs> Just like that. Well, hello, I'm um, Miguel Mainz, one of the guys from Sun Creature Studio. And I'm DJ Grandpa. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh-oh. In the, I see in the background, you see, it's uh, Kenneth Lelka, my co-director, uh, fellow director. Hey, dude. So me and, me and uh, this guy Kenneth over here, Right. we uh, directed The Reward. That's the, the movie we are trying to get into a, a series now, together with uh, Bo, who directed Under the Fold. Another of the graduation films from the animation workshop. Graduation films. Now, when did you guys graduate? We just got our diploma after our internship in January. Okay. Now, your company is called Sun Creature Studios. Yes. And your Kickstarter project is the reward. Tales of... How do you pronounce that? Tales of Elethrion. Tales of Elethrion. I can't pronounce it, but I like it. I like it. <laughs> it's such a fantasy name. Fantasy name. What is it derived from, actually? We created the reward when me and Kenneth were sitting at a cafe and we discussed what would be the most interesting story for us to work on because a lot of 3D short films are getting made. And usually when you make a short film and it's a student film, it's always uh, trying to be deep. And uh, at least from this school, it's, it's always a little... Uh, tragic stories and we just wanted action fantasy 2d in traditional way so we sat together and said what would be the best story for us to tell and since we have been playing role play our whole lives and playing games and growing up with this kind of you know very uh, mm -hmm. i think it's it must be japanese inspired and influenced because uh, they do really wild things and uh, they don't really have any borders <laughs> some of their shows so we would try to bring that into a kind of Western culture and right. and just make a lot of fun with uh, the characters and with um, putting contrasts up against each other. So we have epic and beautiful painted backgrounds and then really silly cartoony characters. Okay, so you guys were drinking at a bar. Not not a bar. We were <laughs> at a cafe. At a cafe, actually. <laughs> Latte. Okay, <laughs> high class drinks at a at a cafe. And then you guys have a problem with reality because you're always playing these, uh, you know, role-play games and stuff like that. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> I can say that. I love your trailer. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Could you just tell me a little bit about The Reward? The Reward is a short film that takes place in the land of Lithuania. It's about these two boys growing up in the small village of Tohan. And they are, you know, kicking the dust and they're waiting for an adventure to come. But then suddenly a hero rides by and he grabs the lady on the back of his horse and he's being 
everything that a young guy wants to be in that age. Then he rides away, and a map falls out of his pocket and lands in front of these two boys. And then, of course, they get into a fight uh, to get this map. But the map gets ripped in two parts. So they decide to just travel out with each other on this uh, adventure towards the, the X on the map. And then a lot of things happen and they grow a friendship, but the friendship gets tried many times because one person is very spontaneous and free in mind and the other person is very focused and structured. Yes. So, of course, this uh, creates some, some dilemmas. Then, of course, when they have solved their issues and problems, they grow old together and, oh, because it's a very long journey <laughs> and they become really epic uh, because of each other. And then when they reach the X on the map, they don't find a treasure. They just find a big X and a mirror in front of it. And when they finally see themselves reflected in the mirror, they see how epic they've become, just like the hero from their childhood. Now they realize that it was the journey that mattered and not the, the reward itself. So they make the most epic high-five in the world. And then when they come back to the village where they started, they see two new young boys and then they drop the map for them to have. You guys are young. You guys still like throw women on the back of your horses and stuff like that? Yes, we have done that. All of us three have uh, right now uh, a girl on the horse. <laughs> and uh, But no rings yet. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in you guys, man. I, I like your spirit. I love the um, the symbolism that you have throughout. Like you have the sun creature type thing, and you know I'm talking to you right now, and you have blinding light in the back of you. And <laughs> what would you like to say to your backers? The animation industry is uh, something that's really hard to survive in. So uh, all the help we get here is really, really uh, something that inspires us to keep on what we're doing and and to reach out and satisfy the people who support us. And I would just say all the beggars are just really our friends because it means that they also have the same humor as us and the, and the, um, the fire for the style and the story. Megal, I just wanted to say thank you to Bo and to Kenneth. Thank you for the interview. High five. High five. <laughs> For about 35 years now, and I can tell you... Hi, my name is Naomi Oshira, and welcome to my Kickstarter campaign. Um, I am a singer-songwriter based in Seattle, but I also call... It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Singer that you are, what, folk singer, 2013-something, Seattle's finest. I was quite an honor to be named that. So you believe that everybody has a story to tell. I do. I said that's kind of interesting in itself, but that means you better have a good story yourself to tell. Uh, I mean, I think so. Don't say my heart, I don't give it up to anybody who comes alongside me and says, baby, I've got you. My story is that I am this African woman, African girl, that was raised to believe that it is possible to leave the world better than I found it. I knew from the age of when I was five, I knew that music was going to play a big role in my life. I had no idea how, but I just knew that this is how I wanted to impact the world in a good way, hopefully. And I think that's what I'm trying to do. 
is to leave this world better than I found it with the kind of music that I write. Okay, that's lofty, but not a bad goal. I've been given a pretty good legacy. I come from an incredible family. I saw a picture on Facebook. It looked like they were like 30 deep. <laughs> like you had too much posse or something. I'm trying to figure. I, I couldn't figure the photo out. You know, I, I know the family or friends or something. Village. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I mean, you just had too much posse. So. I guarantee what you'll hear. A never-ending story. This is not how we're meant to be. What is that photo? You mean the one where I'm small? Yes, the one where you're small. It was my parents and a group of about seven or eight other families would get together and they would just sing. Like it was a Friday night kind of thing and they were called the Brethren. But it was not just about singing, it was about community. And like their kids are the kids that I grew up with. And I remember asking my mom, it's like, why was I the only child allowed to sing in this group? And they were like, because they heard you sing and they thought you were phenomenal. And so I got to tour with them at the age of five across the country. My dad was a pastor and they would just go to different churches and sing and preach. And that's where everything really begins for me. It's like that sense of community and brotherhood and trying to change the world. I got you. There's nothing wrong with trying to change the world. I keep saying that. That's one of the coolest things you can aspire to do. Yeah. You know, um, I wish I could change the world in some sort of way. That'd be cool. I'm pretty sure you are, in your own way. Yeah, maybe. It'll be left for other people to judge. (laughs) It's true. That's very true. It's like you just never know what's at the end of your life. And I think part of even just the inspiration of where I am right now is because in April I lost my dad. And I think that became sort of that burning. I'm just like... That's big. You know, when I saw my people, my dad's funeral and the things that people had to say about my dad, and I said, I wonder what kind of legacy I'm going to leave behind when people come to bid me farewell. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be that people would have as good things to say about me as they did about my dad. And and that's why I say, like, I come from a very good legacy and a very good family. And so I'm just trying to continue. Like, it's a privilege what I've been given, and I want to sort of pass that along to my child. I have a daughter. And to generations to come. My condolences about your father. I've met, I've met several women in my life, adult women, and well, I guess that means the same if I say women. But anyway... They told me that when their father died, it was one of the hardest things that had ever happened to them. Their lives changed totally. Do you feel the same way? Absolutely. It is one of the hardest things for sure that I think I've been through in my 36 years of living. And I think losing a parent is hard and emotionally and and even just like physically, like you feel like there's a blanket of security that's sort of been taken away just because of the role a father plays in a daughter's life. But then on the other hand, it really does make you realize like how life is so short and and you have to decide like real quick, why are you alive and why have you been given the chance that you're given? I think for me like that was, yeah, and I've just kind of become like a, I don't mess around anymore. Like I, I feel like I'm on a mission, whether it's being a good mother or being a good human being or being a good artist, like everything else I'm just like, eh. It seems as though you talk about strength and you talk about your foundation and you talk about these stories, which hopefully would lend uh, to strength and foundation. You know, this kind of circular reason, but this kind of building on foundation. I don't know what I just said that means. <laughs> but anyway. Strength and foundation, I got that far. <laughs> right, right, right. But my point is, in your time in America, have you ever been 
lost for, you know, an extended period of time? And if so, what did you draw on to focus, get your composure back, find your mission statement, um, retool, and come back out fighting? Well, I'll answer it this way. I grew up in a Christian home, and I think with that comes a host of so many things. Being a pastor's kid, you sort of grow up in this very incubated environment. Yeah, sometimes they're the ones that break out. And oh, absolutely. Go and they go crazy. They, yeah. And they go crazy. And thankfully, like, I think part of, like, just my personality and just who I am, like, I'm not the person who goes overboard, but I did push the envelope. And even part of, like, my coming to Seattle was because I was just about to give up Christianity. I was done with it. I was done with the church. I couldn't stand anything that it stood for. And I remember my friend saying, you should come to this graduate school. It's a pretty liberal graduate school. And I think it's a good place to like really wrestle with all these questions. And so like, that's kind of like, sort of like getting lost and then finding myself actually going to graduate school and really understanding like, what is it that I believe about this faith that I call faith? What is it about, I believe about Jesus? What is it I believe about people who believe different things or see life differently than I do? This particular graduate school, like they really force you to look at your story, where you've come from, what are the things that have made you the person you are? And they really sort of make you unravel all of that. Whether it's like family history, your family of origin and sort of those defense mechanisms you've adopted and all those. So it's like, it was, it was definitely like being in, going to counseling for three years of your life, but also studying theology. And I think that's kind of like how I found myself is sort of by like looking inward and trying to like unravel or unpack everything and, and decide, okay, who is Naomi and who does she want to become? I an African girl. Well, I know where I'm coming from and I know who I want to be. I trying to defy everything they said of us. We who have chocolate skin. I want to make a good impact on the world. I want to be a good mother. My daughter right, right now is living with my mom after my dad passed away. You know, my mom needed a companion and she's four years old, so it's good for my mom to have a child around. And, but I want to raise her to believe that she is wanted and she's supposed to be here and that she has the ability to live a good life and a life of privilege. I want to write the kind of music that does challenge us as human beings and remind us that I think we're more alike than we are different. For anyone out there who loves folk music, who loves the music that's playing in the background, Naomi is incredible and she's from Seattle and I promote everyone from Seattle. <laughs> so go to kickstarter.com and, and oh, I'm never going to be able to get your project. You're going to have to say it again for me. It's finally Naomi Washira's full-length album. Finally? Okay. Yeah. All right. And I'm sure I think if you Google, if you just type my name, it should pop up. Because I tried doing that, and my name, it did pop up. Oh, so. that's right. That's the way I found it. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you can't find it there, always go to djgrandpa.com, where we keep the links for everybody that's on the show. Naomi, you've been a pleasure to talk to. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Remember, we are the crowdfunding channel and we cover the globe. Ever since we were kids, we had dreams about our toys coming to life. Walking around, driving their cars, working their jobs. 
Well, now we make those dreams a reality. Monotogo Studios is dedicated to bringing toys to life in incredible stop-motion films that make you laugh, cry, and thoroughly enjoy yourself, engaging the child inside. How do we pronounce the name of your studio? That's Monotogo. Yeah, some people have asked us, is it money to go? And we're like, no, 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 it's Monotogo. The name came from my, my nickname is Togo. That's right. my name, Greg, translated into Hobbit. And my sister's name is Monica, so Monotogo. It's a, kind of a combination of her name and my nickname. So you and your sister founded your studio in 2009? That's exactly right. We are a partnership, so. Now, how do you pronounce the name of your film? Bound. Bound. I thought yep. so, but I, I just I figured I had to be wrong. Okay. <laughs> You're right on this one, so you get some points. I watched the trailer on Kickstarter, and it looks incredibly magical, and that's kind of cool, and I guess that's the effect and all you're going for. So I guess there, there's been a million films where toys kind of come to life. What makes yours special? This film has really nothing to do with toys coming to life in the more traditional sense of a movie like Toy Story or The Magic Cupboard. Right. The reason we went that direction in the trailer was we were trying to kind of inspire people with the idea of what could happen if toys came to life. But the movie's not actually about that. It just takes place in a brick-built world, if you will, with Lego characters with brick houses, brick animals. So no people in the world? It's just, I mean, the people are the Lego characters? Yes, that's correct. It's just, you won't see any live footage in the actual final project. Everything is stop motion animation, and it's a world based around kind of that whole Lego culture. There's not any not any live action in it. I feel misled now by the trailer with the kid in it and the people. <laughs> well... I apologize if that's misleading. Your trailer on Kickstarter is extremely important to hook people into a project, but I do go on to explain in that little video piece that the actual project we're making is a Lego stop-motion film, otherwise known as a brick film. It's not actually a live-action film incorporating toys coming to life. Well, what is the story, then? It's really about two siblings, uh, Nathan, who's 16, Abigail, who's 12, and their elderly guardian, Micah, sometime in his mid to late 60s. The children, their older half-brother Zathan has been captured by a rogue soldier known by the name of Guaramoth, who's assembling a rogue army to bring dark vengeance down upon the medieval world. Uh, when Zathan is captured in the service of the king, it falls upon his two younger half-siblings and their guardian to traipse across the medieval wilderness in an epic adventure to attempt to rescue him and also try to share the gospel with him because he's a non-believer. Now, isn't this going to cost you a fortune in Legos to depict all of this? Yeah, it basically has. This is going to be a lot of money to go. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I got what you done there. <laughs> yeah. My sister and I have been investing a lot of our own savings into this project, and right now we have about 300 pounds in Legos. I saw in the film that you had an admittance that... I thought that was pretty funny when you said you you did a film earlier and it, and it kind of sucked, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we, try, we try to be honest, and we wanted to let people know that it's not our first project. We've been doing this for a long time, and we've been learning. We're getting better. People can kind of see our progression there from what we were doing to where we are. And uh, also to give a little bit of hope to other people who are interested in filmmaking that 
And never despise small beginnings because you have no idea where one day they might lead. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like a passage too, but it does sound very much so true. Now, you said stop motion animation mm-hmm. again. So is this going to be like a 10-minute film, like a, f- a film short? Because it takes so long to develop and shoot stop frame? No, this will be 45 minutes to an hour. Wow, that's going to take like 10 years. Well, that's why we've already been on it for four and a half. But to be oh, fair, right. we're over 75% of the way animated already. Okay, now how is your sister? Is she any good at all this stuff? What does she do? Don't tell anybody because it's kind of a secret. But basically, I'm pretty sure my sister is Superwoman. Oh. Not going to lie. She is phenomenal. I do not know another person who has such a balance of right-brained abilities and left-brained abilities. She can work math and do logic with the best of them. And as an artist, she is exceptional. Wow. Frankly... I have ideas, but without my sister, some of these ideas just couldn't happen. I, I do not know another person. Yeah. I don't know another person who could replace her. Wow. Well, that is a stunning endorsement. And, um, man, well, what's her name? Monica, right? Her name is Monica, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Monica. yeah, Monica. Okay, and Greg. and Yeah. How do you pronounce the Money to Go Studios? <laughs> Monica. Monotogo. Monica. A little bit of Monica, a little bit of Togo. Right, I got you. Okay. Yeah, I like the vibe, man. That That's way cool, man. And I wish you guys the best in your dreams, man. And thank you for telling me about the brick and mortar film. You're Not welcome. brick and that's mortar, right. but, but brick man. But it's, it's brick and mortar just sounds so cool. But, but the brick, brick man film that you guys are doing. No, brick film, not brick man film. And anyway, by the time yeah. I edit all of this, it'll all work out just fine. Perfect. See, that's perfect. You got yeah. it, man. <laughs> yeah, no problem, man. And, and good luck to you and, and your sister. Thanks so much, Gigi, Grandpa. A few years ago, I was looking for a handbag that I liked, but I just couldn't find one. I had some painted remnants in my studio, and I decided to make my own. I instantly got tons of compliments everywhere I went. A friend suggested I sell them in her local shop, Hello Lucky. Whitney, the name of your company is called Stitched. Limited edition handbag collection. You're on Kickstarter. Uh, You're from Houston, Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas, I hear. I mean, of course, everybody says that, but it's still a cool catchphrase. Regardless of truth, it's all about catchy sometimes. What brings you to Kickstarter? Well, to start off with kind of a concept that everything grows out of, I have this really deep belief system that we have everything that we need to have a perfect world right now. We just have to kind of rearrange or change our perspective to see it. And these bags are all handmade, hand-painted, as it says, and it's true. It takes a lot of time. A lot of people were naysayers like, well, you're going to have to charge a lot of money to make those and um, they're going to be luxury items or otherwise it's unsustainable. And uh, I'm kind of part of the local, you know, handmade movement with my friend's shop. Right. Hello, Lucky. And so there was this tug and pull there. And there's also this idea that, you know, Having something accessible at a price point that's accessible for people was important to me because I didn't want it to be so exclusive that, like, quote-unquote, real world couldn't participate because my whole thing is bringing something real and meaningful into your life. What 
price point do you call accessible? The smallest little car carrier is $22, and they go up to $278 for the Tote. So I still think it's a little bit on the high end, but these things are durable. I think the very first bag I made, I still use it over four years ago. They're durable, and the second phase that I have in place is going to be a place where you can trade in your bags so they never lose value, kind of like the whole similar to cars. You can trade it in or sell it back, and then there'll be a whole branch of loved-in bags that you can buy that'll be a more accessible price as well. Now, you said certain people, certain aspects believe that you wouldn't be able to create a sustainable business model. And you're talking about fair wages. And I'm starting to see that more on Kickstarter. And what I'm trying to say is you're talking about having it done in other countries and paying them fairly. And also here. It just so happened that Indonesia, this particular village, it took me two years to find a sweatshop-free, factory-free community of people. I was on the phone for hours trying to find some way to create a group in the Appalachian region with the the lost people. So this definitely isn't just about being somewhere else in the world. It's about creating sustainable communities throughout the world, and really ultimately making the world safer for all of us is another thing. Like, I have, you know, these very idealistic concepts that I'm trying to construct a very tangible thing. How old are you? How how old am I? Yeah. I am 39. I was like, if you're going to say 22, I'm like, okay, I can see your idealism. But usually by 39, all your idealism has been torn out of you. It's been broken, stomped on. But 39, <laughs> you still have it. Uh. Okay. Yeah, and it's growing stronger by the minute. Yeah, you might be real somehow. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope no, so. I, I don't mean to be mean to you. I'm just, I'm just talking about stereotypes in life. Bring it on. Right, 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 right. Yes, this is a test. That's right. Hey, all handmade, all custom. All handmade, and what was the second part? All custom. All custom. And you said you were on the phone for literally almost two years to find this village, because I was like, how does one find a village where they can build an infrastructure? This is where idealism meets reality, and it makes sense now why there are factories and, and a lot of things that I'm kind of, I'm trying to steer away from. Just because, it, you know, streamlining certain processes is just easier. You know, all these people are in one space, and and there's a, a lot of things that are, are, are virtuous about that. But every time I kind of was like, you know, and people would say, outsourcing, outsourcing, just get it done. People love the product, you know, and you can tell the brand story, and it doesn't matter. And I, I was like, no, it doesn't feel right. And this is about being transparent and doing something and offering the world something that there's, like, no like zero hidden aspect of something that you have to swallow to get something else. Like an awesome pair of shoes, but, you know, maybe some poor kids in a factory made it. You know, like, and I was like, no, that's not what this is about. This is about believing in change. You know, there's capitalism. It's kind of proven that it's a, it's a really good system so far. It's the one that works really well. But if, you know, the world gets torn, feelings about it, like the ugliness and then blame and then there's defensiveness. So whenever I feel something like that, I'm like, okay, just focus on out of that discomfort, out of that thing you don't like to feel, focus on what you want. It's like, well, I want 
conscientious capitalism. Like, so we learn that there's some stuff that can go wrong, some unchecked, you know, words that we, I don't like to use, like greed and, you know, just certain things that don't no, feel good so. to me. So how do, how do we do something better? You know what? Take care of everybody. And everybody who works, they know that whatever they make goes out into the world with a picture of them, a story about them, a story about their community, and a way to get back to them. And then they're part of the profit-sharing system. There's a group fund where 10% of the sale, profits of the sales go back to where they get to vote on what they want to do to improve their community, not someone telling them what they need. They get to vote. And what's important to them? What's going to make their life better? Is it a school or is it clean water? Or like this village in Indonesia, I believe they voted on is a latrine system. It's not fancy, but you know what? <laughs> Having a sanitary place to take care of your business is pretty important and maybe more important than having a school. And maybe that's next, you know? And then the concept is, is if you buy the bag, you're actually making more safety for you, too. Because if we start taking care of everybody, then everybody's going to be taken care of. And we're going to feel good and happy about working and participating, creating, co-creating with each other. So I am big and idealistic. And um, and my goal is to have this be a brand right up there with Coach or Louis Vuitton or Kate you know, Spade and have it be a choice for people who go, you know what, I care. And, and I'm doing something about it. For anyone out there who's looking for a bag, go to kickstarter.com and check out Stitched. And if you can't find it there, remember there's another person who's very stubborn on the end of the line, and that's DJ Grandpa. And you'll find all the links you need at djgrandpa.com, the limited edition handbag collection by Whitney Riley. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Theron Kennedy, our Director of Marketing, and to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Aaron Levine, our Assistant Editors. Until next week... So say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus. Thank <laughs> you.